All right, well, we're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 14, and on Wednesday nights and in the evening services, we usually take a book of the Bible or a section of the Bible and just systematically move through it, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, seeing what we can learn along the way. If you remember last week, we, were, uh, we dealt with the first part of this chapter, and we basically left off there at verse number 28. So I'd like you to look down at verse 28, and the Bible gives us this story The Bible says, So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. So Absalom, if you remember, Absalom killed his brother Amnon and was banished. And and Joab, as we read, uh, devised this plan to bring Absalom back. David finally allows Absalom to come back. But but when David says that Absalom can come back, he says Absalom can come back, but I don't want to see his face. I, I, I don't want to have a relationship with him. And the Bible tells us here in verse 28, that Absalom was back in Jerusalem for two full years and saw not the king's face. Uh, so uh, Absalom doesn't get to see David. If you look at verse 29, therefore Absalom sent for Joab. So Absalom sends his messengers to call Joab to have sent him to the king. So he, he, he calls for Joab because he wants to get Joab to go to the king uh, because he wants to basically have Joab go and tell King David, hey, why did you bring me back here if I don't get to see you? Why did you bring me back here if I don't get to have a relationship with you? But notice what the Bible says there in verse 29. But he, that's Joab, would not come to him. So, uh, so Absalom sends messengers to Joab, and Joab says, no, I'm not going to go see him. I'm not going to respond to it. Notice the last phrase in verse 29. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So Absalom sends a messenger. Joab ignores it. Absalom sends another messenger. Joab ignores it. Look at verse 30. Therefore he said unto his servant, See, Joab's field is near me, and he hath barley there. Go and set it on fire. All right? So, did, so understand what's going on. He's calling for Joab. Joab's not returning his calls. All right? He's sending him emails and text messages, and he's getting no response from Joab. And he's getting frustrated here because he needs to talk to Joab. He wants to get Joab's attention. Joab's just ignoring. So he says, this is what Absalom says. He says to his servant, he said, go set Joab's field on fire. Because he says, Joab has a field that is near me. He says, Joab has a farm that is near me. Go set his, his uh, field on fire, and that'll get his attention. That'll get him to respond to me. Notice verse 30 again. Therefore he said unto his servant, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he that hath barley there, go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Now notice, Absalom was right. It got Joab's attention. Notice verse 31. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom. I mean, wouldn't you? unto his house, and said unto him, Wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? He said, why, why did you set my barley field? Why did you set my farm on fire? Look at verse 32. And Absalom answered, Joab, Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king, to say, Wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now therefore, let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. So Joab came to the king and told him, when he, had called for, when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on, the, on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. I want you to understand that Absalom's uh, method worked. He couldn't get a response from Joab, so he orders that Joab's field get burnt, 
in order to get Joab's attention, in order to get Joab to respond, in order to get Joab to come do what he needed him to do. And at the end of the chapter here, there's a reunion between Absalom and David because he was able to get the attention of Joab. Now, I want to use this story as an illustration tonight because this story pictures in, 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 in a very accurate way sometimes what God has to do in order to get your attention, in order to get my attention. See, sometimes God wants to get my attention. Sometimes God wants to get your attention. And he sends a messenger called the Holy Spirit to prompt you. And maybe it's through a sermon you hear. Maybe it's through Bible reading. Maybe it's through uh, uh, another believer that maybe says something. But God sends a message along your way about something he wants you to deal with or something he wants you to do. And oftentimes what you and I do is we ignore God. And we don't return the message. And God may send another message. And then that one doesn't get returned. That one doesn't get acknowledged. And often God may send another message or send another message. But every so often there comes a point when God may burn your field in order to get your attention. Sometimes there are tragic things that happen. Sometimes there are big things that happen. Sometimes God will do something big in our lives in order to say, don't ignore me when I'm trying to call you. Now, please understand this, and let me give this disclaimer. Absalom is a wicked sinner, all right? He's burning the property of another man here, and that's not right. And, and, and it's not a perfect illustration in the sense that when God burns a field, God is in his right to burn any field he wants because God owns everything. And when we're saying, you know, uh, God burns your field, it may be a health problem in your life. It may be a financial problem in your life. It may be some big, major, tragic event that God uses in your life in order to get your attention. I want to kind of teach you tonight about this idea of when God sometimes has to burn our field. Now, you're there in, in 2 Samuel. Go with me to the book of Daniel towards the end of the Old Testament. If you can find that the big major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. After Ezekiel, you got the book of Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Allow me to say this. I'm not saying tonight every time, every time something tragic happens in your life, it means that God is trying to get your attention. But I am saying that sometimes God wants to get our attention. Sometimes God sends a messenger, sends a messenger, gets no response, get no, gets no response, and then he tells that messenger, go burn his field and see if he'll get back to us. Go do something big, something tragic, and see if he'll respond. And I want to give you tonight three different areas in life where God may burn your field in order to get your attention. The first one tonight, for those of you taking notes, is this. God may burn your field in regards to salvation. God may burn your field, or God may have to burn a field in someone's life in order to get their attention in regards to a response for salvation. Are you there in Daniel? Daniel chapter number 2. I'd like you to look at verse number 1. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar was an unsaved man. Nebuchadnezzar was a man that worshipped other gods, not the God of the Bible. But Nebuchadnezzar had many times in his life that God 
called him and gave him opportunities to be saved. I'd like you to notice in verse number one there in Daniel chapter number two, the Bible says this, and in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep raved from him. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that really messed him up. It really troubled him. It was God trying to get his attention. Notice verse two, and the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans. So he calls all these, you know, uh, people that are doing witchcraft, people that are possessed of demons. He calls all the wise men of Babylon together for to show the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream that my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Notice the response in verse 4. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Now notice what they said. They said, Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. So he says, I had a dream. It really troubled me. And he calls all the wise men of Babylon, which are these magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, Chaldeans. They said, okay, well, tell us the, king, the, the dream, and, and, and we'll show you the interpretation. Look at verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. He said, I don't remember the dream. He said, the, the problem is the, the thing, the dream is gone from me. He says, if ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made dunghill. Not, not really a nice guy to work for, right? He's saying, look, I don't remember the dream, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to tell me what the dream was and you're going to tell me what it means. You're going to remind me what the dream is. Look at verse 6. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. He says, if you don't tell me what the dream is and, and can't tell me interpretation, he says, I'm going to kill you. And if you tell me, then I'm going to give you gifts. I'm not going to sit here and read the whole chapter just for sake of time. They go back and forth and say, well, you know, what you're asking is impossible. Nobody can do this. And he says, look, I know if I told you the dream, you're just going to sit there and lie to me and tell me your interpretation. If you can remind me what the dream is, then I will know that you have the ability to tell me what the interpretation is. And he sends them off. He's going to kill all the wise men of Babylon. The problem is that in that group of men that are going to die is included Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Megiddo? These are all men that are going to die. And Daniel finds out about this. Daniel prays about this. Daniel uh, uh, is told by God what the dream is. Skip down to verse 25. Notice what the Bible says. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, I found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. He says, I got a guy that can tell you what the dream is. Look at verse 26. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? So he says, are you able to do this, Daniel? Are you able to do this, Belteshazzar? Daniel answered in the presence of the kings and said, the secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. Now notice, I want you to notice what Daniel does here in verse 28. He doesn't take the credit for himself. He doesn't glory in himself. He doesn't say, well, king, you know, it's because I'm so wise. It's because I'm so wonderful. It's because I'm so much better than all the other men. Notice what he does. He gives clear 
credit to God. Look at verse 28. He says, but there is a God in heaven that revealed its secret. He said, your wise men couldn't do it. Your astrologers, your magicians, your soothsayers um, could not show the dream unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealed its secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and thy vision and thy head upon the bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon the bed uh, that what should come to pass hereafter, and he, I want you to see that word he, that, that he's referring to God. He says, and he that revealeth secrets, he says, and God that revealeth secrets, maketh known to the king what shall come to pass. But as for me, the secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. Notice, he, he says, look, it's not that I'm special. It's not that I'm different. He said, the only reason that I can tell you what the dream is and what the interpretation is is because there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets. He says, he gives clear credit to God. He goes on and reveals the dream. Let's skip that for sake of time. Look at verse 47. The king answered unto Daniel and said, of a truth it is. Notice what the king says, that your God. He says, your God. He doesn't say my God. He doesn't say our God. Nebuchadnezzar says, your, your God is not my God. But he said, he, he says to Daniel after he tells him the dream and the interpretation and he shows that the power really came from God. He says, of a truth it is that your God, Daniel, is God of gods and Lord of lords and a revealer of secrets seeing thou couldst reveal the secret. Now, wouldn't you think at the end of that story... Nebuchadnezzar became a believer and started worshiping the God, the same God that Daniel worshipped? I mean, wouldn't you think that's the case? If he has this dream, he has all his wise men that worship all these other gods. They can't figure it out. They can't tell him what it is. Now, uh, Daniel shows up and says, I can tell you not only what the dream is. I can remind you what the dream is. I can tell you what the interpretation is. It's not because I'm special. It's not because I'm wise. It's not because I'm anything. It's because I serve the God, the one true God. There is a God in heaven that reveals secrets. And, and Nebuchadnezzar at the end acknowledges, he says, it's true that your God is God of gods. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't receive that God. He doesn't become a follower of that God. He continues in his old path. You say, how do you know that? Because in the very next chapter, in fact, go to chapter 3, look at verse 1. In the next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is making an image of himself and causing people to worship an image of himself. And you think to yourself, Nebuchadnezzar, really? You didn't get saved after that? And here's what God did. He, he called one time to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, I, I'm, I'm trying to draw you to myself. I'm using Daniel, my servant. I'm sending a dream and I'm having this happen in your life that you might know that there is a God and it's not the God you serve and it's not you, Nebuchadnezzar. But he didn't get it. He didn't respond. So what did God do? Well, he sends a second messenger. He sends a second call. Notice verse 1, chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image. Again, not acknowledging the God of the Bible. Made an image of gold. He, Daniel gives him the interpretation of the image, the end times image, and, and Nebuchadnezzar says, I know what I'll do. I'll make an image myself of me, of pure gold, whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plains of Dura and in the providence of Babylon. Skip down to verse 21, just for the sake of time. If you remember, they set up the image. He causes everyone to worship the image, but there was three young men who refused to worship. Remember? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, we will not worship. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They said, we worship the one true God. We worship the God of Daniel. We worship the God of the Bible. Notice verse 21. And these men were bound in their coats, their hoses, 
and their ass and in their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar throws them into a fiery furnace because they're not willing to worship an image of himself. What happens? Look at verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. He was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto the counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. He said, it's like the Son of God. He said, he said, I thought we threw three guys in. We did throw three guys in. Why is there four guys in there? Why does the last one look like the Son of God? I don't know how he knew that, but he knew that. He said, why, are they, why aren't they on the floor rolling around in pain? Why are they just walking around? It's like they're fellowshipping in there. Nothing's happening to them. Look at verse 26. They bring the young men out. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fire furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Notice, ye servants of the most high what? God. He acknowledges their God again. Come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the kings of the counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies, notice, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, no was in hair of their head, uh, nor was in hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. If you, if you remember, we didn't read it, but remember, the soldiers that threw them in died about the heat. And these three young men, they come out, they don't even smell like smoke. There's no fire on them. I mean, they, they look fine. Everything's fine. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God. Now notice what he said. Blessed be the God of heaven. Is that what he says? Blessed be the God of Babylon. Is that what he says? Blessed be the God of Nebuchadnezzar. Is that what he says? No, he acknowledges God, but he doesn't acknowledge the fact that it's his God. He said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angels and delivered his servant that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except not our, but their own God. Notice, he keeps saying it's their God. It's their God. I'm acknowledging the fact that their God delivered it. I mean, wouldn't you think if you were the king and you threw three guys into the fiery furnace, and all of a sudden, there's four guys in there, and they're high-fiving each other, and they're having a grand old time. And you bring them out, and there's no problem, and there's nothing. Wouldn't you say, I want to worship your God? I want to follow your God? I want to believe in your God? Can you, can you help me become a servant of the Jehovah God? No. See, God sends a message again. He calls again. Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges it, but doesn't receive it. And says, that's your God. That's your religion. That was pretty impressive. That was pretty powerful. But he doesn't accept it. You say, how do you know he doesn't accept it? Because in the next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Go to chapter 4. Look at verse 5. Now look, if he has another dream, who do you think he's going to call? I mean, who, who would it make sense for him to call? Who interpreted the last dream? Who didn't interpret the last dream? The wise men. Notice what he does. Daniel 4, verse 5. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed, and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon before me. Who is he talking about? That they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the Susa. Everyone that wasn't able to give him the answer before. 
Everyone that worshipped the wrong God before, he calls them yet again. And I told the dream before them. But they did not make known unto me the interpretation. Big surprise. They did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. Now notice, notice, everything in the Bible is in there for a reason. Nothing's in there accidentally. Nothing in there is in there incidentally. Notice verse 8. But at the last. You see those words, at the last? This was not his first choice. This was not the guy he wanted to call first. Now look, but at the last, Daniel came in. Now, wouldn't you think you'd call Daniel first? He says, can you guys help me out? Well, we can't help you out. Maybe you ought to call Daniel. Remember, in last chapter 2, he's the one that interpreted the dream. Remember that king? Well, I guess, bring that guy in here. He's a little weird, a little zealous with his religion. Notice verse 8, but at the last, Daniel came in before me. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. Whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. Did you see that? He said, I changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, because who did Nebuchadnezzar worship? He worshiped Baal. He said, I changed his name to Belteshazzar according to the name of my God. He said, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Megan, they have their God, but I have my God. They have their religion, but I have my religion. And if I have to, at the last, I'll call the guy that I renamed after my God. Notice, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? And before him, I told the dream, saying, now skip down to verse 24, just, just for sake of time. Notice what God does again. He uses Daniel to give Nebuchadnezzar one last call. Now, Daniel says this, this is the interpretation of king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which came upon my Lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times, that seven times, I believe, is referring to seven years. He says, seven years shall pass over thee. He says, you are going to have a, 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 a health problem. You are going to become like an animal. I mean, notice what he said. He said, they're going to drive you from men. That Thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to greet grass like oxen. They shall wet thee with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over thee. He says, how long is this going to happen for? Seven years. Why? Till thou know. Because Nebuchadnezzar, you're not getting it. Because Nebuchadnezzar, you're not understanding this. Till thou know, because you still don't know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he, that's God, will. Verse 26. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree root, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. He said, this is going to happen until you know, until you get it. He said, God's calling you, Nebuchadnezzar. He said, God called you with Daniel the first time. God called you with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the second time. He said, God's calling you again. But he says, this is the last time God's going to call Nebuchadnezzar. Until you know, until you acknowledge who is the God that rules in the affairs of men. So did Nebuchadnezzar get it? No. How do you know that? We'll look at verse 29. At the end of 12 months, so 12 months after this warning, he walked in the place of the kingdom of Babylon the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? See, a pride. He said, Aren't I so wonderful? That was a real good idea when I made an image for myself and made everybody worship it. Because look what I built. Look what I've done. Look who I am. Look at my power. Look at my majesty. 
Nebuchadnezzar still doesn't get it. God called once for the dream. No one was able to interpret it except for Daniel. Daniel told him there is a God in heaven that reveals the secret of the dream. Nebuchadnezzar he said, that's good. That's good about your God. That's good for you, but that's not my God. Then he gives him another call when he builds an image, and he sends Hadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and he delivers them, and he says, your God delivered you, but that's not my God. He gives him another call with the dream, but he ignores it, and 12 months later, he's again talking about how great he is, how powerful he is. He says, you say, well, what does God do? I'll tell you what God did. He burned his field down. He said, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar? I called, and you didn't respond. I called, and you didn't respond. I called, and you didn't respond. So then he says to his servants, go burn his field down so he can get his attention. Say, well, what happened? Look at verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, as Nebuchadnezzar was boasting and bragging, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour, the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's cloth. For Seven years, the most powerful man on earth was out there in a field like an animal, naked, eating like an ox. His hair got so long and nappy, it looked like he had feathers. His, 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 his nails got so long, it looked like he had bird's claws, and he was out there like an animal. God humbled him. God wasted seven of his years putting him in a position. You say, why did God do that? Because God wanted to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Did it work? Well, look at verse 34. And at the end of the days, I never could never lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me. Notice what he says. First time we see Nebuchadnezzar do this. And I bless the Most High and praise God and praise and honor him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Notice, does it his tune change? Look at verse 35. And all, including Nebuchadnezzar, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed. The word reputed means they are reported or they are believed to be. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? I believe this is when Nebuchadnezzar got saved. You say, but, but what, what? And, I did, and I believe Nebuchadnezzar was saved. And I think we'll be in heaven with Nebuchadnezzar. And it'll be interesting to talk to him about all these stories and all these different things. You say, what happened? happened here? God sent a message. What happened here? God sent a message. What happened here? God sent a message. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't listen. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't listen. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't listen. So God said, let's burn his field down. Let's have him have a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial breakdown for the next seven years. Let's destroy his life. Let's ruin his life and see if we can get his attention. And Nebuchadnezzar got saved as a result of it. You don't have to turn there, but 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this, For he saith, I have heard thee in time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. See, sometimes you and I, we pray that people would get saved, and we pray that people would come to Christ. But you know what we should be praying sometimes is that God would burn their field down. 
that God would do whatever he has to do, that he would bring whatever tragedy he needs to bring to shake them, to get their attention, to get them to acknowledge the God. But listen to me. Listen to me. Just because God burns your field down doesn't mean he gets your attention every time. In fact, sometimes God burns your field down, and instead of getting your attention, it just makes people hard towards God. And it leads them down a road of becoming a reprobate. There was a guy who had his field burnt down ten times. Remember him? His name was Pharaoh. Ten different times God said, let's try to get his attention. Let's try to get his attention. Let's try to get his attention. And all it did was harden his heart, harden his heart, harden his heart. I'm just telling you here tonight, sometimes in regards to salvation, God will call, get no response. God will call, get no response. God will call, get no response. And he might say, Let's burn his field down, see if we can get his attention. We see that in regards to salvation for Nebuchadnezzar. But let me give you another example. You're there in the book of Daniel. Go to the book of Jonah. You got Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. See, sometimes God burns our field down in regards to salvation. But you know, sometimes God may burn your field down in regards to service. Sometimes he'll burn the field of a saved person, try to get them to do what he wants them to do. Are right, there in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1? Notice what the Bible says. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. God says to Jonah, I want you to go and preach for me. God says to Jonah, I want you to go and become a soul winner for me. God says to Jonah, I want you to go and become a servant for me and serve me and go do my will in, uh, in Nineveh. But how did Jonah respond? He responded by ignoring it. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish, the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. From the presence of the Lord. He's running from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa and he found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God says to Jonah, I want you to go soul winning. God says to Jonah, I want you to go start a church for me. God says to Jonah, I want you to go on that mission field. God says to Jonah, I want you to serve me. I want you to do this for me. I've got a place of service for you. And Jonah says, not today, God. I'm not responding to your call. In fact, I'm going to run from your presence. So what does God do? I'll submit to you tonight that he burned his field down. Look at verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Look at verse 15. Skip down to verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. They literally threw him in the midst of the ocean. And the sea ceased from a raging, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord, notice, had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You know the story. God says, Jonah, I got something for you to do. And Jonah says, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go so many. I don't want to be served. I don't want to serve you. I don't want to give. Whatever it is. He, God said, I have something I want you to do. And he fought, and he fought, and he fought. And God said, let's burn his field down so we can get his attention. Let's throw him in the middle of the ocean so we can get his attention. Let's prepare a big, great fish to swallow up Jonah for three days and three nights. See if we can get his attention. So what happens? Look at verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish. I like that. And the Lord spake unto the fish, 
and it vomited out Jonah unto the dry land. Look at verse 1, chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. God said, let's try this again. Let's see if we can get you to do what I need you to do. Saying, arise, go unto Nineveh, the great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. Doesn't it seem like he got the point? According to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Sometimes God tries to get your attention when it comes to salvation, and people don't listen, and people don't listen, and people don't listen, and God has to burn their field down. I'm not saying every time you have a health crisis, God's trying to get your attention. I'm not saying every time someone buries a child, God's trying to get their attention. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying every time you lose your job or your home or your finances. or I'm not saying every time something tragic happens in your life, but sometimes God is dealing with you and calling you and saying, will you do this for me? Will you go here for me? Will you serve in this area? Will you volunteer in this area? Will you give that up? And God calls and God calls and God calls and we don't answer and we don't answer and we ignore it. And God says, you know, he's got a barley field over there. Why don't we burn that field and see if we can get his attention? God had to do that for Nebuchadnezzar when it comes to the area of salvation. God had to do that for Jonah in the area of service. Let me give you one more. Go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter number 2. We said, number one, God may burn your field down in regards to salvation. We said, number two, God may burn your field down in regards to service. But number three, God may burn your field down in regards to sin. There may be sin in your life God's dealing with. And God's been dealing with. And God's been calling. And God's been sending a messenger and saying, I want you to deal with this. I want you to deal with this. I want you to deal with this. Are you there in Revelation? Look at chapter 2 and verse number 20. Revelation chapter number 2 should be fairly easy to find. Last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 20. The Bible says this, notwithstanding, this is Jesus speaking to the church in Thyatira. He says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest. The word suffer means you're allowing that woman, Jezebel. Now, I don't know that this woman's name was actually Jezebel because there's a very, fairly Je- famous Jezebel in the Bible. And maybe this is just God referring to her as Jezebel because that's the type of woman she is. Jezebel is a very wicked woman. Or maybe her name really was Jezebel. I don't know. But he says, thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach. So they're having women preachers. But even worse than that, and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. They're allowing the woman preacher to fornicate openly and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. But God called. God said, let, let, let's see if she, she'll get right about this. Let's see if she'll get the sin out of her life. Notice verse 21. And I gave her space to repent. You see that? God said, I gave her time to repent. And by the way, sometimes we need to give people time to repent. I mean, I don't know about you, but this is pretty bad. This is a woman preacher fornicating openly with people in the church, and you and I would be like, get that woman out of here. And I, and I understand that. I mean, I would too. But Jesus said he gave her space to repent. He called. Did she respond? Notice. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication. Notice she refused the call, and she repented not. She did not respond to his call. So what did God do? He burned her field down. He said, let's burn her field down, see if we can get her attention. Look at verse 22. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. 
And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts and will give unto every one of you according to your works. God said, I'm dealing with this lady. I'm dealing with Jezebel in the church of Thyatira. He said, I'm trying to deal with her sin. He said, there's sin in her life and I'm, I'm calling. And maybe it was through preaching. Maybe it was through Bible reading. Maybe it was through other Christians coming along and saying, hey, listen, Jezebel, this isn't right. Hey, listen, Jezebel, this isn't what God wants. Hey, listen, Jezebel, this isn't God's will. I don't know how he did it, but I know that he called and he called and he called and he gave her space to repent of her fornication, but she repented not. And God said, She's got a field over there. Maybe we should go burn her field down so we can get her attention. He said, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. In 1 Corinthians 5, 5, you don't have to turn there, but we read about a young man who's also in fornication. And Paul says this about that young man. He says, To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that Satan will destroy this young man. He said, I'm going to pray that this young man will get in a car accident and have his flesh destroyed. I'm going to pray that this young man has a health problem. I'm going to pray. I don't know what he's praying. He said, I'm going to pray that Satan destroys this young man's flesh, that he might get right with God. You say, what was Paul praying? Here's what he was praying. God, will you burn his field down to get his attention? Shake him a little bit. Get the sin out of his life. See, God may burn your field in regards to salvation. We saw that with Nebuchadnezzar. God may burn your field down in regards to service. We saw that with Jonah. God may burn your field down in regards to sin. We saw that with Jezebel. Say, well, what do we do with this? How do we apply this to our lives? Go with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at two chapters. We'll be done, two verses. We'll be done. Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter 4. You say, what do I do? What do I do? What you do is you learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's calling in your life. Before you're at the ER, before you're at the graveside, before you're in the unemployment line, before he burns your field down, learn to be sensitive to the call of God. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, the Bible says this, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. See, sometimes the Holy Spirit tries to get your attention. Sometimes Pastor Manus gets up here and preaches, and you guys think, ah, he's just so mean and he's so angry. But sometimes the Holy Spirit just pricks your heart. And you, you think it's Pastor Manus. Pastor Manus is always picking on me. Maybe it's uh, the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear, I'm speaking to you. I'm calling you. You know you need to be saved. Or maybe, you know you got to get back to that soul winning thing. You know you got to get back to that service thing. I've got something for you to do, young man. I've got something for you to do, young lady. Would, would you listen to my call? Maybe it's in regards to sin. Maybe there's sin in your life that God is dealing with. And I get up here and preach a whole sermon on Facebook, and you're like, I can't believe Pastor preached about drinking. I was like, I never preached about drinking. And all I heard was drinking. It's funny, like, sometimes I'll, I'll preach all sorts of sermons, and people are like, Pastor always preaches about fornication. Pastor always preaches about divorce. Pastor always preaches about drinking alcohol. I'm like, maybe it's the Holy Spirit just kind of, whatever I'm preaching, he's like, fornication, fornication, fornication. Alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. 
Soul winning, soul winning, soul winning. And he's trying to get your attention. And you say, I will not listen. I will not listen. I'm just here to tell you, sometimes God gets to the point where he says, see that field over there? Let's burn it. See if we can get its attention. See if we can get our attention. When the Holy Spirit's working on your heart, learn not to grieve the Holy Spirit. If you're there in Ephesians, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse number 19. This is the last verse we'll look at tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. The Bible says, quench not the spirit. Of the, the spirit. you got to underline that in your Bible. Quench not the spirit. See, sometimes the spirit is working in your life, in your heart, Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's call on your life. Don't quench or grieve him. Learn to respond to the Holy Spirit's calling so that God doesn't have to burn your field down. I am not saying, please understand this, I'm not saying every time someone loses their job, God's trying to get a hold of them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying every time a child dies. I'm not saying every time someone gets sick. I'm not saying every time something tragic happens in your life, it's God trying to get a hold of you. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. When something tragic happens in your life, you ought to ask yourself, is God trying to get my attention in some area of my life? Because sometimes, sometimes, God will call, and he'll call, and he'll call. And if we ignore it, and if we don't respond, and if we run from it, God says, let's burn that field down. See if we can get their attention. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.